And how's writing? How uh, are you writing in reading life? Uh, writing has continued to be uh, not the most right now uh, with, with a couple of busy weekends and stuff. You're going to ask me this every week until I can give you a good answer, which is good of you. <laughs> That's a, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> this is a kind thing for you to do to me it is um, make me feel embarrassed about this because it will make me do it. <laughs> like, yeah. Same as Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but reading is going okay. The um, closest thing I'm reading that's approaching fiction is I'm just going to hold it up for you. It's it's really crazy, and it's a hard book. It's called Sea Witch. It's by a, oh. a woman named Never Angeline North. Um, Can I just, like, tell people that that looks like a coffee table book? Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? That yeah. it largely looks like an art book. Yeah, it, it's, it's like huge. It's, very much art-shaped. Yeah. It's, like, square rather than... Yeah, and it's and it's got the art in it, too. It's got... Well, it's got the know, art inside. Wow. Photographs, a lot of, it's like, pages where there's, like kind of ink drawings drawn onto the page as well uh, alongside the text um and it's like it, it's about a lot of things like i, I don't want to i haven't finished it so i don't really want to make any like definitive claims about what it's a you know about because it's like this semi-fictionalized memoir poem you know um uh, about this woman's experience like the best way i can describe it is that there the um, narrator is kind of narrating this, like, what feels to be an ex-lover of theirs, but the ex-lover is also, like, the house that they lived in together with a bunch of their, like, friends in kind of a commune state. Like, wow. it, it's it, it's really interesting, you know, um, pretty, I, I'm pretty sure everybody is trans in the house. Like, you know, gender is extremely fluid in how people are described and how, you know... Like, it, it, and the fluidity even goes to a point where, like, animals are described on the same, like, plane as people are. Like, there's a character called Dog Witch, which about 100 pages in, I they showed a picture of, and it's like, oh, it's really just a dog. Like, that's a dog <laughs> that they're referring to, but, but speaking about in the same gravitas and way that they speak about all the people. Like, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's cool. It, it's really good. Like, yeah. I'm into that. How'd you find it? Um, it's on, uh, Inside the Castle, um, a publisher that I really love, and I just kind of buy everything that they put out, um, uh, just kind of offhand. I, I don't need to know anything about it. I'll find that out when I read it, and sometimes even after I read it, I don't know what it was about, so it's a, it's a good, good publisher. Yeah, I highly recommend Inside the Castle. Yeah. It's very your, your speed. Like, yeah. still unsure what this was about, but gosh darn, it was a ride. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How about you? How, how goes the write slash the read? Oh my gosh. So a friend of mine and I texted and we were like, let's... A friend of mine from undergrad and I texted and we were like, let's do a short story exchange, right? Nice. And this was two weeks ago and we said, Sunday, we'll we'll switch, right? Mm-hmm. Sunday we texted each other both like, so what about next Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. We had... We were both we're both doing that like you just like pitter with the first couple of pages instead of just drafting the whole thing and then coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm doing it for a totally different reason than he's doing it, which I think is interesting. Okay. I'm doing it because I just really like the first couple of pages, and I'm not sure if there's like enough narrative meat to justify it being a whole short story i'm like huh should i just make it flash if i like the first couple pages but don't really feel compelled to keep going Mm -hmm. um 
And he's doing it because he's got like too many themes and he can't seem to narrow down and decide, like really commit to what the focus is. So mm. I think it's funny that we've got the same problem for opposite reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So like, so what, what's, um, what, what do you think's keeping it from being a full short story uh, on your end? This, uh, well, first of all, to be frank, like my lack of time commitment committed to trying, <laughs> my well, lack of effort, nah, um, don't worry is about the that. first error. <laughs> and then secondly, following that, so like the original, my original plan for like what the story would be about would be like this fight between these two people. And I just, as I like develop them further, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't think that they'd be like catty like that. Okay. Um, but I also ha- used to have this like challenge where I would always just like, in an effort to not be predictable in what the central conflict was, I would just, like, not have a fucking central conflict. (laughs) Which is not what I want to be doing, personally. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's fair. Especially if it feels like there's supposed to be one. Like, if the absence is not... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll finally take that inspiration to finally just do it. Oh, my Uh, God, Emily. (laughs) Dude. I'm right... I'm... Okay, you're gonna watch me do something right now. This Friday... Uh, I hope my boss uh-huh. never listens to this, but I only have one thing that I have to do on Friday at work, so I'm writing down right on my to-do list so that oh I God. do some of that, and, and it's right there uh, on my to-do underneath quizzes because I also have to write quizzes for this job. Uh, um, that's a real thing. And, and uh, LAU bonuses, which means nothing. But um, <laughs> the LAU bonuses, of yeah. course. But I am I am going to I am going to write the the writing one of the quizzes will put me into a vibe where I'm thinking in writing mode and then I will t- try to devote forty five minutes to something even if it's just a free write on a blank page. Yeah. You better believe I'll be asking you about this next week. You better. Um, you better. Ben. So if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with Ben's boss, you can email us at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll forward it along to Ben's boss. Thanks so much. I'll print it out and throw it away. Um, is what I will do. Um, We should get a shredder. Oh, we should get we should get a company shredder. That's that that would be appropriate. (laughs) It's tax deductible. We take killing your darlings very seriously at the Good Writing Podcast. <laughs> so you will throw that darling into the shredder. God damn it. <laughs> um, well, I'm really excited. Um, thank you for reading the stuff that I sent you because I'm really excited about this week's episode. Um, okay, we should start doing this thing. Dear listener, before you actually listen to this episode, you should pause, look in the show notes, and find the links and actually just read the thing that we're going to be talking about. So please take this moment to pause this episode, put on your glasses, I call them my glooses, and read... (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. You do? (laughs) Yeah, I call them my glooses. Did you not know this? No! <laughs> Clearly I didn't know this. This has never come up! <laughs> no, I didn't I've known you for years. I've never heard you once refer to them as your glooses. <laughs> no, 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 my glooses, singular. Because um, I've got two different pairs. My glooses. <laughs> <laughs>
Your clues. Um, <laughs> anyway. Oh. So, friends, take this moment to pull out your glues and um, read. <laughs> this first one's available just online. Oh, I'm not going to laugh through this episode. Uh, it's on, just on Bon Appetit's website. Um, it's by a writer named Kristen Arnett, a fiction writer whose debut novel was a bestseller a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the debut novel was Mostly Dead Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen Arnett's article, it's a personal essay, is Why I Take All My First Dates to Olive Garden. Why I Take All My First Dates to Olive Garden. So pause us. And read that. Uh, later in this episode, we're also going to talk about a, a 2020 novel from the poet Patricia Lockwood titled No One Is Talking About This. So we'll talk brief- briefly about No One Is Talking About This as well. But that is not just a short personal essay that you can read online. So, like, I do really love that novel. But, like, please don't pause us and read a whole novel in between. Mm-hmm. You'll never come back in time. Because <laughs> yeah, we're, we're only talking about a single paragraph. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's like one paragraph from that novel. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, cool. So, Ben, I made you read both of these before... I sent you both links to both of these, and I know that you read both of them. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, can you guess what I'm going to have us talk about this episode? Ooh, that that's such a big question. Can you, like, here, can be- you guess what craft element we're going to be talking about? What craft element? Well, let me bring up the Patricia Lockwood also to look at that again. Um... I, for the sake of like the time of the episode, I, I honestly I, I couldn't tell you. I, I, I don't know it. Because um, these are pretty these don't have a ton in common, right? Like yeah, a personal essay about a comedy personal essay about Olive Garden in this like, yeah. paragraph from this this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm so excited. Uh, I want to talk about setting okay. and how writers should think about setting. That's what I think is, like, really, these are the two, mm-hmm. like, top of mind that is a good use of setting examples okay. for me. Awesome. Um, oh, yeah. So this personal essay by Kristen Arnett is about, um, actually, Ben, do you think, would you be willing to kind of, like, summarize the essay for me? Yeah, sure. Um, all right, so we have this personal essay um, by Kristen Arnett, like you said. Um, which is about it, it's in did we say the title of it yet or no um it is why i why take i take uh, oh why, damn it we did that <laughs> <laughs> of why i take all my first dates to olive garden which is just like which in many ways sets the scene in and of itself um but mm-hmm. it, it is a personal essay in which uh the author kind of moves between comedy and seriousness in which they talk about what it's like to take a first date uh, to the Olive Garden, what what that kind of sets up, um, and what that kind of sets up emotionally between the two of them, and then kind of uses the way that it's kind of like this kitschy fun thing to go to Olive Garden on the first date as a way of saying that the author uses that to create emotional distance between herself and her dates, and, and therefore she kind of, that then segues kind of into a small rumination on her, you know, kind of fear of commitment, I think. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. It's it's a really short essay, and it's just so crystallized. Every paragraph is like really using setting to dig into uh, mm-hmm. an internal theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Ben nailed it. Ben's so good at this. <laughs> um, 
It's also a very the good right, essay. <laughs> yeah. It's just really, really good analysis of it's it's just my go-to example of how writers should think about setting and using mm. setting as a way to bring up topics and like mm. make external things that are hard to like themes that are hard to get to when they're like just like these deeply buried personal things. So it opens when I meet women on dating apps, I always want to know if I can take them to the Olive Garden, my treat. It's a solid opener, a way to know if they're compatible. If they're the right kind of woman for me, they'll respond with an enthusiastic yes. And it's talking about like, she's looking for someone, also Kristen Arnett's Twitter bio says that she uses any pronouns now, so I'm gonna just like mix them all up. Okay. Um, so Kristen's talking about like, the, like, I'm looking for someone who doesn't care, um, who's, who's going to be kitschy and cute. It's no big deal. Nothing has to be serious. Um, we're going to make some fun. Um, but then she goes from like, you know, like any observations that any old person can make about Olive Garden pretty directly into, did you know the first Olive Garden was in Orlando? Did you know that I grew up in an evangelical family in Orlando that like was not cool about me being queer? (laughs) Right. Um, and then, hey, there's a Michaels across the parking lot. So if I'm tipsy from my wines, plural, I can walk over and buy art supplies. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's using setting as a way to, like, throw in um, really, like, self-analysis, really heavy stuff, and also, like, drunkenly buying craft supplies. Yeah. like that, that Kind of like that bounce between things is happens a lot in there, it feels feels like you and it's always like bouncing off of olive garden as the setting like you're saying like yeah absolutely yeah i just think it's such a smart use of setting and it it also she she mixes like interesting observations about olive garden to like here's a time where the date went wrong right Mm -hmm. the date was trying to have a serious conversation can you believe my boss did that to me and Kristen like cracks a stupid pun that date ends the date right Mm -hmm, the pun mm -hmm. for those of you wondering was i wouldn't put it pasta it's it's a really great punchline to the joke that she sets up there as well like it's so stupid it's as painful like as you would it's like oh that would be a date ending pun if that didn't land you're absolutely correct like yeah yeah and like the self-observation here goes as deep as olive garden never changes and apparently neither do i Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is such a good externalization of an internal problem, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. Kristen's, it's about they're staying in their comfort zone. They, like, are only doing things ironically. They're ne- never taking anything seriously. They're never letting people in. Mm-hmm. And Olive Garden is similarly predictable and not, like, trying to have an authentic experience. It's just trying to get through it in a... a crowd pleasingly way yeah exactly yeah so so like so when you're talking about setting in this scenario like it, it, in the context of this are are you thinking of the ways that like setting reflects character a, as like what we want a, as like a thing that's being done really well here or the way that uh setting is you, you said earlier like using setting as a way of bringing up other things i, I guess i want to dive into that a little bit more like on how you think she does that and, and why you think that's so effective here like hmm i think um what i love about this when like 
I've been thinking a lot more about, I think as a writer, I'm interested in like ethical dilemmas and Mm. internal growth moments. But as a reader, I only want to read those when they've been made into externalized problems, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in listening in reading like somebody's diary entry of internal growth, right? I want to watch it happen Mm -hmm. in a live externalized way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that this setting is just like such a strong example of here's a way to use setting to make those internal problems come up. Okay, yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. It, it, just the way that um, that that internal um, it, just the way that the internal landscape it reflects the external landscape in this way. Like, it, and you, and I guess like kind of the way that the an external landscape was chosen in order to reflect a pre-existing internal landscape. Like, which is also I think in this scenario kind of complicated by the fact that this is a personal essay, so it has its basis in reality like in, in an interesting way and then using that that's still in kind of like that metaphorical fold like transforming that into metaphor rather than um just keeping it in the realm of the literal like yeah i, I think that's really interesting yeah yeah so speaking of this is a personal essay like a non-fiction real life thing mm-hmm. um i want to use that to segue to the novel the like couple the paragraph from that novel that I want to talk about yes and I want to maybe come back and compare yeah. nonfiction and fiction use of settings after okay. yeah yeah love okay. it um can I read this one yeah please. actually have you read this novel by the way no I no, haven't I, I want to now after reading this paragraph like yeah this paragraph rocks like <laughs> it really this does par- <laughs> while I was reading this like there were a lot of moments reading this novel where I was like oh my god, that's so funny, I need to bookmark that, I need to go write that down, that's hilarious. Mm -hmm. But this paragraph, like, hit me in a way. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of this book is similarly balancing dark humor and um, Mm -hmm. really heavier topics. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, this paragraph hit me. This paragraph hit me so hard, I, like, actually stood up. I, like, got onto my Google Drive. I have this Google Doc titled Sentences to Steal. And then I like cite what sentences, what where what it's from, and like I just type the whole mm-hmm. thing that I think is brilliant. And then like one day when I'm like looking for inspiration, I like go through this document and I look for like not stealing per se, but like moments of inspiration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So this paragraph made me like actually get off the couch and go reopen that document for the first time in a long time. Um, wow. Hell yeah. Yeah, I love this paragraph. So. This is... Do you know Patricia Lockwood at all? No. Okay, cool. You would really like her. (laughs) Um, So Patricia Lockwood's a poet. Um, She went viral in 2017 for a a poem titled The Rape Joke. Okay. Um, This was when, like, Todrick... Whatever. One of those, like, comedy central comedians did something really offensive that made, like, rape jokes... Can rape jokes ever be funny? Like a... Yeah, cultural I, moment or something was it the internet video man the man that showed youtube videos on television e, that we, we sounds right we don't need to the, say his the, name, like but yeah. we shall not name also i apologize the rape joke was in 2013 okay um, yeah that was several years off patricia lockwood's a poet who went viral in 2013 for her poem the rape joke um she wrote a memoir that's my favorite mm-hmm. book period like it's so funny she i just really love how she balances humor and serious topics mm-hmm. um 
so her memoir pre-staddy is just like i'm sure i will talk about it again on the show because mm-hmm. I, I love it so much um this is her debut novel it's called no one is talking about this and it's really good mm-hmm. um <laughs> i think it's if i had to summarize the novel overall i would say it's about how twitter will melt your brain and how okay. just like constantly being online like changes how you think and makes it difficult to not do things ironically mm-hmm. um i didn't intend this when i said it but when i like paired these but Kristen arnett and patricia lockwood are both like pretty viral on twitter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so this part of the novel uh the narrator sorry it's not a narrator it's a close third so it's always she mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it's basically i mm-hmm. <laughs> um so our protagonist's sister, um, this sister has her first kid, and the kid is diagnosed with like a terminal genetic disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so they know when they when the baby gets born that the baby's going to live like one or two years. Okay. Um, so they decide to take the baby to Disney Disney World. The sister and uh, her husband. Uh, when she was 14 weeks weeks old, they took the baby to Disney World because this, because this in America was something that you did. This is th- one of the best uses of settings that I have seen in a novel. Uh, how about I read this one and you tell me what you think of it? Yeah, cool. Please. The baby rode with equanimity through the darkness of the haunted mansion, regarding the proceedings with the same tolerant amusement she had shown at her baptism. Don't worry, she seemed to reassure her mother and father, who balanced her like a child queen between them in their roller coaster car. It won't be like this. It won't be anything like this at all. These are forms, she told them earnestly, as the camera took a picture of them in their, quote, corruptible mortal state, unquote, for everyone to laugh at together when the ride was over. But if you ever really need it, I will put on a white lace dress and come to you. I mean, now knowing the context of this within the novel that this is about a child who is going to die like that that is that is deeply affecting like that that is a very like i already thought it was excellent just kind of like as a series of images and, and like the you know the the looking up at the camera above them as it like uh, flashes a, a a photograph of them like in the relationship with the dead and the living um but the this is it, knowing that this is like the child like you know being reflected their future being reflected by the place that they are in currently which is like a parody of that future in a way to make it seem softer but in knowing you know what's going on in this moment that this is something that's like probably deeply terrifying to the characters in those moments because it is just like showing them fate but as a reassurance that this is not the fate that actually awaits us but that's that that's really really cool. Yeah, like it's so good. Yeah, <laughs> like they go to Disney World, mm-hmm. which is a common activity you do for kids, but they mm-hmm. do it when their kid is unsuitably too young, fourteen yeah. weeks old. Like, yeah. and then they go to the they go on a ride that's like relatively kid friendly, but obviously mm-hmm. not infant friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, the haunted ma- mansion, which has a bunch of ghosts flying mm-hmm. around, and like. You, like, get the ghosts come at you, you turn around, it's, like, fun, but not that scary. Yeah. Um, they, they go to the ghost, <laughs> they go to the ghost ride with their soon to, with their soon to be dead child. Yeah. Like, that's such, 
good use of settings. (laughs) I'm freaking out. I'm still freaking out. And and it's like, it's such good use of setting that that it doesn't really feel even like use of setting necessarily. Like, it it, it calls attention to itself, but it doesn't. Like, you know, because there's a sentence you point out at the very top. Like, when she was 14 weeks old, they took the baby to Disney World because this in America was something that you did. Like, that being, like, that that's the impetus. Like, that's the character motivation right there, is that it's this very normal thing to do. But then how that allows for the writer to create this moment in which, like, the, the characters are forced to confront their scenario by this real space, like, by the Haunted Mansion ride, which you and I can also go ride at any point that we want to, should we choose to spend money on that. Like, yeah, that's that, that's deeply fascinating. That, that That's a very... Like you said, that's a really, really good use of setting, like, in just the way that it's so evenly from, like, you know, basically in a straight line connects character and place without, like, trying to call attention to the connection between character and place. Yeah. Yeah. These parents are trying so hard to give their kid, like, any life experience before it before Mm -hmm. she dies. Mm -hmm. They do the thing that, like, a lot of people do, which is you go to Disney World, that's the thing that... I've met like it's fun yeah as an adult it's super fun but it's like definitely hyped up as like you know the make-a-wish foundation on that list of things that you do with dying kids yeah and absolutely then they just happen to choose the haunted mansion as one of the things they go on and they're forced to confront ghosts (laughs) you know death (laughs) abstracted and then i think it's really interesting um like I'm going to read this section again. Um, Mm. Don't worry. The infant seemed to reassure her mother and child. It won't be like this. It won't be anything like this at all. These are the forms. She told them earnestly. But if you ever really need it, I will put on a white lace dress and come to you. Like, Mm -hmm. she, Patricia Lockwood, the narrator, slips into speaking initially the child seems to say this and then she's just saying this right it's Mm -hmm. part of the text Mm -hmm. um and i think that's really interesting like i'm who's project like that is that baby actually having that complicated of a thought is that like reassurance that we project onto some like a a person in that a baby in that situation Mm -hmm. um it's just so good, Ben. <laughs> yeah. And it's also Patricia Lockwood, like, showing her skill as a poet, because, like, it, it, in that moment, it is the baby thinking that, but it is actually... But it's also the parents next to the baby thinking that, and it is also the narrator, who is this other person quite removed, thinking it all at the same time. Like, the the way that kind of that poetic nature allows the, like a sentence to kind of float in space between a a, a direct relation like that, like allowing the sentence to act as the relation rather than be in itself the like tied uh, in that way. Like, uh, I think that that's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, that's really good. Like it's a very good paragraph. Yeah. It's, it's so like a poet, like, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of more conventional fiction writers would be, like, better labeling who's thinking what when. Yeah. And it's so, like, a poet to just say, figure it out. Like, I'm yeah. going in, figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To just allow something to exist as language. I will put on a white lace dress and come to you also. Like, that. that's just, you know, 
the, those are just those little moments that it's like that's why I read books is for <laughs> sentences like that that just are so succinct and perfect. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Ben, there's a, a number of those. This whole book is essentially just like prose poem paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Prose poem paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, my sentences to Steel Doc for this book is, <laughs> it, it was a challenge for me to just be like, Emily, that's not relevant to this to the setting thing that you were doing today. Do mm-hmm. not read that out loud to Ben today. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have... You, the sentences to steel doc has become mostly a recreation of this novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patricia Lockwood, don't sue me. I just like what you do. Um, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. she'd be proud of you. So uh. another thing, uh, thread connecting Kristen Arnett's Olive Garden personal essay yes. and yeah. this moment in no one is talking about this by Patricia Lockwood is they're both like, American places that, like, Americans generally know about regardless of if they've been, but also, like, a whole lot of Americans have been to both of these places, Olive Garden and Disney World, Mm -hmm. even specifically the Haunted Mansion ride. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's... I think part of why both of these are so affecting is, like, we already know it. We already know that setting. You don't have to spend a ton of time, like... The interesting things about what they did with these settings was not, like, really just, like, the color of the bricks or whatever, you know. It wasn't yeah. scene setting so much as, like, assuming we have kind of a basic and then just going into what is thematically relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just that, like, a thing that just comes from, like, multiple drafts uh, almost. You can just feel that because it's that... it's. It's it's getting rid of the seams between all of those things, right? Like it it, it is allowing the setting to exist fully, just a, as a setting, and and then just you know, the relationship between things has just melted into subtext. It's been taken out of the text itself, and then you're just literally reading it, even though none of it's stated directly. Like like, and that's kind of what both of these pieces are doing with that in terms of setting, for sure. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, we don't, um, there are a lot of things to observe about Olive Garden that aren't actually brought in, like, I don't Mm -hmm. recall any observations about, like, the quality of the, um, towels or whatever, or, like, the, uh, or what the food tastes like, or what the food tastes like, right? Instead, it goes straight into, like, we overhear families talking, Mm -hmm. um, and... Hang on. Uh, they're talking about what the kids did at school, maybe deciding what to do as a family over the weekend. Mm-hmm. But we're just skipping all the heartwarming intimacy and jumping straight into like goofy stand-up comedy routine. Is how Kristen Arnett describes her own behavior. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think there's like a lot of really, really great editing down and mm-hmm. only including setting details that are thematically relevant. And I think that's why both of these are feel like such punchy, punchy use of settings, because while there is plenty else to observe, like they only brought in what was necessary for the main themes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, like, it, it, exactly that. Like, it, it, we can definitely think of these places, it, the setting is definitely in service of the, you know, emotional characteristics of the scene. 
like it's not it's definitely not the other way around they're not trying to force it in into that way they're just like you said only taking those relevant aspects and that's the that's what the set the setting is crafted in those places and then from that it is allowed as the jumping off point for the you know emotional moments and thematic moments that come out of this there was a moment in the bon appetit one that i i wanted to bring up uh um, it, it, it's the um, th- there's a point when she does the um, the uh, uh, byline for Olive Garden the uh, when you're here your family like it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and using that as like a turn that that I think was very very effective and very good. Um, let's see. Yeah, let me read this. Yeah. Despite the fact that when you're here, your family, I'm not looking to settle down with any of the women I bring to Olive Garden. In yeah. fact, I know that after we make out in the parking lot or hook up at her apartment, I'll never see her again. But mm-hmm. I like the routine of it. Yeah, that that moment I I think is very effective. Uh, I I think that, but that's one of those things that's almost it, that's almost I think too perfect even for like my at least when my sensibilities when I bring to this sort of thing. Like I mm-hmm. I, I think it's like it's it's such a smooth jumping off point from there that it almost like it almost takes me out of it like this is like a dumb thing about my own taste i i admit this that that when things feel too written like and that feels like such a crafted moment and and so successfully crafted like i don't mean this as a, a criticism of the piece it's just like a taste thing on my part but like i i see that and it's just like i i'm very much reminded that i'm reading something that was written if that mm. it, like it, it definitely like kind of you know oh we're because it's perfect like she does it perfectly it, it, it's this great turn from this like humorous moment into like but this is actually about my intimacy and, and like this is actually i'm going to use this as a moment like i don't i'm not trying to have a family i'm not trying to be family like I, i'm going to create this emotional distance out of out of that phrasing like I'm not 100 percent sure where I'm going with it. I I just that 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 really stood out to me as a moment that was both good and kind of like upset me a little bit. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good topic actually for us to talk about. I also don't know the answer to this, mm-hmm. but like, how do you balance when you choose a setting this perfect for the theme that you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. How do you not? How do you make your reader feel like we felt when we were reading the haunted mansion? Like oh wait that's perfect rather than mm-hmm. uh, i know what she's trying to do here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think subject matter matters a lot mm. in that like i i think that there is a way in which like we're also talking about the advantage that like long form versus short form work has to a certain extent but like with the um with, with the other piece with the novel that you brought in um the that is there's such gravitas to the aspect that like we are going to lose this child that is going to flood into everything that is observed no matter what by the characters like everything Mm -hmm. that they observe no matter what it is can find a way to connect to that because that's just how those people's brains are going to work in that moment like because it's going to just you know it's haunting you like but in the space of the personal essay in which like we're trying to she's trying to you know get this point out um relatively quickly because it's a shorter piece um, oh my god it was like 800 words 20, yeah 1200 words exactly like yeah it, it's a quicker thing it's definitely it, it definitely feels like maybe the she's a little bit more constrained and kind of has to find those moments 
whereas those moments are uh, it can occur more naturally when you just have more space to do it with i don't know like i like i said i don't have a direct answer yeah Um, i i think that that's definitely just always going to be true of something long form and i think that's part of why like um longer full books tend to feel more subtle like mm-hmm. in an essay or a short story you got to get the sketch out the door like you got to mm-hmm. get there yeah. um and but i do think like the despite the fact that when you're here your family i'm not disagreeing that you think it's a little maybe too straightforward for you um but it is directly after the part where she's like makes the pasta joke right yeah the pasta pun right i want to put it mm-hmm. pasta so mm-hmm. I think that that's, like, really, even if it is maybe too on the nose for your taste, like, absolutely fits into this mm-hmm. writer's voice, right? Like, yeah. I'm very corny punny on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very clearly being achieved here. Yeah, that, that's very true. And, and like I said, I, I don't want to make it come across as if I... I, I don't want to be overly critical of that moment because I think it's necessary to the piece. And I, I think that it, it you know allows her to move into the spaces that she wants to move in like it, it almost it you know i i feel i don't want to criticize it because i have to ask myself the question well, like what else would she do you know like what what else would any writer do like there there aren't like this is just kind of the movement like and i don't i don't want to fault it for that because that's how writing works a lot of the time you have to make choices and stick to your you know your thematic guns that you're trying to develop like and i think she does so very successfully it just it just sat weird with me yeah like yeah yeah i think um it's kind of like i don't know and if if you were writing like first person you're inside the character's head and they observed like a billboard you Mm -hmm. know Mm-hmm. the amount that they have to make the billboard and their feelings about it explicit is much higher mm-hmm. compared to um, just the Great Gatsby movie adaptations just actually showing the billboard and then moving, like, the camera zooms towards the, whatever that scene actually is yeah. and lets yeah. you, like, recognize the eyes of whatever that guy's name was. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I think, a lot, in large part, the medium determines what are your options <laughs> like yeah. yeah in order to get to that theme yeah exactly no i i agree 100 percent uh, yeah so like I, I mean i guess my question for you is then like how, how do you t- take this kind of thing in, into your writing when you're trying to create spaces mm. what are, are you a, I, I guess the first question i have to ask is are you selecting spaces and then putting people in them or do you have people and they find spaces oh ben what a good question um, I think it's always going to depend for me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not always consistent in like what inspires something. Mm-hmm. I've written short stories based on like, I was walking, I was like in undergrad and I was walking past some group talking about something and I overheard something that one of them said and I was like, that's the most ludicrous thing. I have to write a whole short story so that somebody mm-hmm. can say that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I have to figure it out. I will reverse engineer something so that somebody can make that observation. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've done that. Uh, I think, I think setting is pretty early in my conceptual process for me. I feel like I'm a pretty different person in different spaces. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I definitely think about how different settings draw out different versions of me. Um, mm. like 
I'm gonna be pretty, pretty different when I'm, uh, when I was like teaching undergrads and being monitored by a faculty member at our old, at our old university mm-hmm. versus like when I'm in the club trying to meet up with my drag queen friend and I can't get through the crowd, like I'm gonna be a pretty different character in those yeah. situations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you're making something, then like, what what do you want your settings to do? Ultimately, I guess is the question. Like, what do you want them to be? I guess like, do you want them to kind of exist as like a reflective space um, for the uh, for the characters themselves? Like we kind of see with the uh, Bon Appetit essay. Um, do do we want do you want them more to be like that driving force? Like, yeah. What 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 when you're when you're thinking of a place? Like, what what is the goal you have for it when, when you're putting that together then hmm i th- think i always want to be using setting mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. i i don't want my settings to be interchangeable mm-hmm. um i definitely enjoy reading things that are set like um where like something mentioned when they first entered the space mm-hmm. later becomes very much relevant um mm-hmm. Definitely living for that. I think setting's just like a really satisfying way to explore a theme and also to surprise people. I'm always chasing that high, that feeling of, um, oh, wait, she did mention that earlier, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think setting's a really satisfying way to, to create that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that makes me think of the uh, the piece that we wrote together of Donald August and, and how we kind of utilize the, like, you know, the, the space created by the plants in there um, like, mm-hmm. and the way that, like, the, that was a big part of it was that we had a huge, you know, plot moment occur around, like, dropping seeds in one place and that becoming a giant plant in that same place and that essentially being the setting kind of driving the narrative forward in a big way, like, in the way that the setting was changed. Um, yeah, we something where it was that, just, yeah. like, a throwaway Donald lazily didn't want to clean up after himself yeah. later turned into like the central conflict. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like that, that's so, that, that's just very interesting. Like, like thinking of it in those terms, like just as this, like, I don't know, this might sound somewhat backward but it's just like it, it's very hard for me to think of setting as background like mm-hmm. I, I love setting probably more than anything in, in what I read like that that's probably going to be the like the thing that attracts me to stuff the most that's why I read a lot of science fiction and things like that because that that often foreground setting as being the most important part in world building and whatnot like um, that's really interesting yeah. well what's how does setting when does setting play into your writing conceptual process for you i mean the conceptual process is definitely like i am always thinking of setting first setting is what what there always is before anything else i i have ideas about you know like what the conceptual space is like not not really the things in it or the people that are going to be in it. it it's always going to be like what is this location and what makes it different from other locations? Um, and, and I just, and then like the location will spawn 
what kind of people are going to be in it. Like they're, they're determined by, by the environment that they're going to have to exist in. Um, if an environment is threatening or not, or, you know, what, what's going on with it or what's changing about it. Um, but it's definitely like, you know, I think it just speaks to a difference in style, like, and how we approach that because, you know, it's very much, you know, when I read things you've written, like your, your spaces are human spaces, they're apartments and, and, you know, like, and office buildings and parks and, you know, friends' houses and things like that, um, which is just, but they are given that same, you know, like they're just as important, like they're just as important as anything else that can be made. Um, in the way that the characters within them are, are reflected by those spaces in the way that they um, reflect those spaces in themselves. Like like I said, I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure where I'm going, but just thinking on that, like, just that relationship between those two things, between character and setting, is so key and tantamount, and I don't think I've ever really considered it much before this conversation, in all honesty. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think... I think setting is just such a natural way to kind of define expectations, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like you kind of have an idea for how someone's going to behave in a lobby as compared yeah. to like at a rodeo or whatever. Like it kind yeah. of defines what's normal, sets expectations and yeah. for the scene. Um, yeah. And I also like one of my favorite, a use of setting that I'm really proud of was just like in my novel that I've drafted and mm-hmm. that, is sitting in an agent's inbox and hasn't been read. Um, <laughs> I hate the query process so much, yeah. Ben. For another episode. Yeah. Um, so for the novel that I, the first novel that I drafted, um, there's one point my main character is like making a new friend. Like they're kind of in that, like, are we good friends? Are we going to, I feel like we could be good friends, but we haven't actually known each other for long enough to like, this is like our third time hanging out or whatever. They're coming back from like playing frisbee with a group of people outside and they're both really dirty. And, and so mm-hmm. she goes to shower at his place and she's like, this is the, like trying to clean herself in the grossest shower. She's, you know, she's a neat freak. And um, yeah. And just setting is such a way to draw out like what makes characters different, like ways to like add look tension to a conversation and subtext to a conversation that like otherwise may not um come out god i'm just so jealous of that i, I i'm so jealous of the fact like because that's just such a like funny natural scene between those two characters like as a result of being in just a normal style space like just you know this is the kind of environment that begets this kind of story and it just i i'm just so jealous of your ability to come up with something like that because for me it's like things need to be at their most extreme edge if i'm going to be able to get anywhere with them like like things have to be so far gone for me to have a conceptual understanding of them like in like in physical space but but just like because i i wouldn't think of the story that a like unclean bathroom creates like of like for a person that isn't like is a neat freak like the way that that all kind of ties together so nicely like yeah that's just that's just great like i, I i'm a, I'm a I, as i've I'm said before i'm always surprised when fan, you say but, that yeah, mm-hmm. you just you always enjoy quiet comedy moments but mm-hmm. you you're you're usually writing like surreal supernatural comes to real life 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, huh. yeah. The, the, uh, that's the thing. But so, just because stuff like that is so much more relatable and, and <laughs> like, uh, understandable and, and natural, like, you know, we, we as human beings gravitate towards those sort of things, like, because it's, like... It feel it feels real. It feels it feels human, and I I really love that. Like that, especially with comedy. Like especially with things that are funny. Like that. That's the you know, some of the best way to find comedy is in those small observational moments and those moments that are just shared in that way. Like yeah, I don't know. I, I just I just think it's great. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Well, I think. Our Olive Garden essay and our Haunted Mansion Disney World mm-hmm. paragraph to say, like, you don't have to go to extremes to have, like, to extreme settings to have really to cutting a character to a core, yeah. to, to their core, like, yeah. observations. Yeah. Like, it's just an Olive Garden in a parking lot. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, like, a supposedly spooky kids ride that like a hundred bazillion people have have ridden on yeah um but to have the right character in that setting like it can really reveal something new about the character and also in a way the setting yeah yeah like uh, it definitely in the haunted mansion one like and de- and in the bon appetit one like we definitely get just like because that is about the character in the bon appetit one in, in the um olive garden <laughs> Like, uh, can we speak to a moment for the fact that this was published in Bon Appetit also? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just want to, I, I just want to, like, praise that as a publication choice for this piece. And I, I praise Bon Appetit for publishing this piece, like, in a moment of very solid food writing and an understanding of the kind of, like, depth and breadth of food writing. Like, yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. A hundred percent. Um... <laughs> can't agree more yeah it's it's just interesting to see like personal essays like there's literally only one moment where i was like this is a little bit journalistically almost that like Mm -hmm. otherwise i was like what is this doing in bon appetit (laughs) what the heck is this doing here (laughs) like literally there's one moment where she's like olive garden began in 1982 in the greater orlando area and i'm like okay this is in bon appetit and then it never it's all just like (laughs) riveting personal essay that has no business in bon appetit i love it (laughs) yeah yeah exactly like i wonder if she was approached by them or or if she approached them with the piece like it's just a very it's a very good fit but a very interesting one yeah like you know what else is interesting like this published in april 2019 before mm-hmm. Kristen Arnett's debut novel, that also Kristen Arnett's debut debut novel was published by Ten House, mm-hmm. which is an amazing indie publisher. But they don't usually like it's indie. It's not one of the big yeah. fives. It's not like the splashy summer Gone Girl beach reads. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was published by Ten House. It was an unexpected bestseller, but like mm-hmm. this was published before it came out. Mm-hmm. And it was only expected to be published by an indie publisher. <laughs> you yeah. know, like Bon Appetit, like just was like, no, I believe in this story. Yeah, I'm <laughs> here taking risks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What did we design our sign offs were? What was up? Oh, our sign offs. Um, if if anyone wants to get in touch with us, has opinions yes. on writing, you can email yeah. us at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. 
We simply mm-hmm. will not respond or read mm-hmm. or or allude to any other social media messages. Ben and I are trying yeah. to limit. <laughs> yeah, so send us email. Limit that shit. Uh, you you can write um, a letter and put it into a bottle and throw it into the ocean, and the currents will take it where it will, and maybe that'll one day be to us. Who knows? Um, you one can do day. that. Uh, you you can you can follow me on a Twitter I don't use at Benjamin Kearns twenty two. Um, <laughs> You can follow me on a Twitter that I don't use, but I won't even name it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And then one final thing, Emily. What, what is another thing that you've been into recently that uh, has been giving you inspiration or giving you joy? Okay. I recently learned about spotlight focus versus lantern focus. Do you mm-hmm. know anything about this? No. Okay. So... We believe that like adults focus in a spotlight way where we're able to really zoom in and focus on a specific topic at a distance, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cognitive developer, development psychologists believe that like babies through like preschoolers, their mm-hmm. focus is more like a lantern, like okay. where they're not, they don't zoom in on stuff, mm-hmm. but they take in a lot more information at once. So, for example, there was this study done where these preschoolers were, like, shown a photo of a woman, like, it was a photo of a woman looking at some, looking at something, and mm-hmm. there was also, like, a chair behind her and, like, mm-hmm. the picture frame. And adults, when asked, are, like, when they, when they get asked, what do you think the woman is thinking about? They say, the photo that she's looking at, stupid, <laughs> you know? And then mm-hmm. when kids are, when, like, preschoolers were asked, what do you think the woman is, is thinking about? Mm-hmm. Their response is, like, um, the photo and also the chair behind her and also the white edges around the photo that we're looking at. Like, they're just, like, mm. they're not fucking right in this case. But they also just, yeah. like, interestingly take in more information. The, the field of view is way wider. Yeah. Like that, that's, yeah. that's fascinating. And, yeah. And the theory on it is that, like, infants and kids have to, like, take in so much information. Like, learn mm-hmm. so quickly. Like, mm-hmm. toddlers learn, like, ten words a day. Okay. Whereas yeah. adults, like, we just go in depth on stuff. Like, yeah. I spend all day to just, like, spotlight focusing, like, really going in depth on, on work. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I learned about that this week. And I've been thinking people believe that, like, distractibility is good for creativity in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like, the lantern way of thinking, the lantern focus is good for like making creative connections between different ideas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so i don't know i'm just thinking about like i do adult spotlight focus all day for work and maybe i just and it is really useful spotlight focus when you're like revising like when i had Mm -hmm. my first full draft full draft of a novel and i was like i need to develop this specific theme Mm -hmm. um is really useful in revising but i'm just thinking more about lantern focus and yeah. How I need to actually try at drafting more. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I will keep that in mind as well. That, that that's great to try to be more to be more like a lantern. That that's a book title right there. Also, like, hey. yeah. <laughs> hey. What are you into this but, week, Ben? Uh, this week, what what have I been into? Okay, uh, have you seen the What We Do in the Shadows television series? 
Uh, I love the movie. I've seen like an episode or two. Okay, me, me and Fran have been watching the new season of What We Do in the Shadows. Very great. Very funny show. Like, just from from moment one, if you have not seen What We Do in the Shadows, I highly recommend watching just from the beginning. And also watching the movie if you haven't, if the audience member has not seen the movie. But, like, the, the just excellent, very funny, like, you know, relatively wholesome, like, mm-hmm. take on vampires. If you're unfamiliar, it's like an office-style documentary um, shot, except it's focused on a group of vampires that live together. And it is incredibly funny. Um, Taika Waititi did the movie. Uh, Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. I, I don't know how much writing they do on the show, but they are executive producers, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they do have some sort of creative involvement. Um, but it's it's very very good just uh, really especially by season three like they get to that moment where sitcoms get to where it's you know all the characters are beginning to just be like the writers know how to write jokes for the characters and for the actors playing the characters specifically like it, and it just kind of gets to that effortless mode where it feels like it's just kind of rolling like it, it doesn't you know no one needs to be introduced. They don't need to conceptualize something. They can just do what they want to do now. And they're definitely at that point in the show. And it's very, very good. Um, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I really love the mockumentary just like yeah. model. I think it's so rich. And mm-hmm. I think we're like, like, I do think with The Office, there was a period where we were a little saturated with mockumentaries. Mm-hmm. Um when Office and Parks and Rec were on the air at the same time was when it was too much. Like, because also Modern Family was too, I guess. Like, yeah, Modern but, Family was mockumentary. Yeah, um, but, but I now bring it back. it's it, there, it's always good. Are there any good mockumentary movies, or is it all just serial um, TV shows? There is a movie. Um, I forget what it's called, but it stars Werner Herzog. Um, <laughs> It is a mockumentary about Werner Herzog making a documentary about the Loch Ness Monster. It is very funny. Um, Especially if you just like Werner Herzog and like the way he talks and acts. Like, it's very good. I I can't remember the name of it, but if you just search, you know, Werner Herzog, uh, Loch Ness Monster, you'll find it. Um, Yeah. Werner Herzog documentaries, I haven't seen many, but like... I watched Lo and Behold in an indie theater in Chicago a few years ago, and I just, I just felt like I'm in good hands. Like wherever we're going, I believe in this journey. You know, Lo and Behold is rough too. That's that's definitely a dark one. The one about the internet, like yeah. Don't remember it at all, to be honest. Just yeah. remember watching it. <laughs> I, the, I, I, the, that that one I remember making me sad. He has one on Netflix about volcanoes that's very good, though. <laughs> Let me remember what I'm recommending while I... Yeah, it is the internet. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it's uh, it's free on YouTube. If anyone wants to remind me what this documentary was about, <laughs> feel free to email us at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. I think... I think Signing off. I feel good. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.